Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. Today on the podcast, we have mother and daughter. We have Nicole Myers, who was a student of mine and is now a practicing attorney in Los Angeles, California, and her daughter, Cassidy Myers, who is a senior at Spelman College, and we're going to just see where the conversation goes. We always like to sort of start, since this is a podcast about race and womanhood, sort of just introducing your culture, what your cultural background is. So, Nicole, do you want to start? Sure. I was, let's see, my father... He's since passed, but he's African-American from Alabama, raised, born in Brooklyn, but raised in Montgomery, Alabama. My mother, he met my mother when they were working, I think in Colorado, but my mother actually immigrated to the States from the Philippines when she was a kid. But my mother's actually half Filipino, half white, because her father was stationed in the Philippines for World War II. So that's how she ended up coming to the States. But I wasn't raised by my mother. I was raised by my father and various family members. So I don't have any like cultural connections to Filipino life or anything like that or food. So I pretty much like I I identify as just strictly African-American. So, and I was raised in New York. Where in New York? In, well, in Queens and also in New Jersey. So I, I moved around a lot when I was a kid, lived so many places, but yeah, like, I say Queens, but really I lived a lot in New Jersey growing up. Like I lived in Teaneck. I lived, and that's where Cassie was born actually, because I went back after I became like, um, not living there, but I actually gave birth to her there. But um, I lived in Teaneck. I lived in West New York. I lived in Princeton area. And then I, before I moved to California, I, I lived in Montclair. So I'm like, I, I'm kind of more of a Jersey girl, but I finished high school in Queens. So, I mean, that's a whole lot, but that's- I totally get it. It's just like, I'm, I just consider myself a New Yorker because it's just like, it's the tri-state area, even though I don't really, I'm, I don't, I've never spent a lot of time in Connecticut, but I mean, yeah, it's- right. I'm a No, but I understand. I mean, I have to say like growing up in New Jersey, kind of close to Montclair, mm-hmm. but I used, when I went to college, I would tell everybody I was from New York and they would say, where in New York? I was like, New Jersey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause it's like, it's the same. Yeah. And it's really how you identify really. It's like how you see yourself. I, that's how I think, because I spent so much time in New York. Like that's what I worked in New York. I, you know, I went to college, I mean, partially in New York and you know, I was always in the city. Like my life was in the city. So to me, I didn't, I had a house, I had a condo and then a house in Jersey, but it wasn't like, I wasn't socializing there. I was like in New York, like hanging out and going to clubs and doing my thing there. Like, it was just like a lot of people move to Jersey because you just have a bigger house and, or just have a little, you know, you can have a car. Whereas in New York, they're spending, you know, back in the nineties, you, I mean, I'm sure it's way higher now, but even back then it was like, $350, $400 for a monthly parking pass. Like, and I can't even imagine what it's like now. It must be like, like at least a thousand. That's rent (laughs) for your car. So, you know, and I like to drive. And since my family lived in Queens, I would like, I moved to Jersey so I could visit them on the weekends if I wanted to. So anyway, that's my, that's my background. So Cassidy, how do you, I mean, this is what fascinates me. You would think, so now Cassie, how do you identify? What's your cultural background? I mean, I just identify as black. My mom, I mean, even though she is mixed, she has raised me black. I don't really identify with the Filipino side. So, and my birth father is black. My stepfather is white, but I, I identify as black. So, and where'd you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles, pretty much. Like my mom said, I was born in Teaneck, but we moved to LA when I was like one, right? Or we moved here when you were two. I'm not, well, here in LA, but you're not here, but yeah. Yeah, so I've been, I grew up in LA my entire life, so don't really know anything other than that. But yeah, I grew up, we lived in, what was the first neighborhood we lived in? We lived in a few neighborhoods, but we we lived, (laughs) so when we first moved here, we lived in Santa Monica. You probably don't remember that. And then we moved to over by the Grove. 
And then from there, I got a, I bought a house in Lafayette Square, which is, it's like a, it's what are you, it's like West Adams area. It's a really nice area. It's like a little gated area with like these big houses. And apparently there's like a lot of history there because, because of redlining, like that area was where a lot of affluent black people lived back in, I don't know what years, but like, for example, Marvin Gaye's family lived over there. And like now I'm, I haven't been there in a while, but the area itself like is, was had a lot of, you know, like professional African-American people that live there. And they're beautiful um, old houses. I mean, oh yeah. The houses are beautiful. You know, it's like beautiful old Victorians saying beautiful mm-hmm. homes. Right. So we lived there and then I moved to Brentwood. I had, I bought, I, I not bought, but I rent an, rent an apartment in Brentwood because I started dating my now husband and I wanted to be closer to him. And I was like, well, I'll move over there. So I moved and then eventually I moved in with him and then, yeah, and then was living in Brentwood. And now we, then we moved to the Palisades when, when Cassidy was, I don't know, how old were you? I, so my, I think you were like nine, right? Nine or two. Yeah, ten. I think yeah, something like that. Yeah, so so she's she lived in Brentwood and the Pal like pretty much like those are the places, but she remembers a little bit about I remember um, the square a little bit. Yeah. That house. Like I remember loving that house and running around in the street with the neighborhood kids and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. That was a cute it was a nice little because it was like gated and it was, you know, like nobody could drive through there. So it was and there was like kids that she played with which is interesting that's actually a conversation yeah about that yeah my most prominent like memories are definitely of like Brentwood and Palisades because that's where I've spent like the most years in but I do have fond memories of growing up in Lafayette Square so it is like my mom said a, a whole another conversation talking about you know kids I've grown up with and grown up around in middle school and high school and how that has impacted me. Well, no, I think we want to hear about that now. That's that's the conversation. That is the conversation, Cassidy. Like, (laughs) because what's interesting to me is that we're imprinted really before 10. A lot of really, those are really formative years that really do form your personality, your self-esteem, like how you identify. Because I also, like, I moved around eight, but my pre-eight memories really set it impacted me it just said who I am and so that's a big difference like my, like even just running around in the streets because when were you born 1999 so right so in the aughts like having even any kind of freedom like that where Lenya Nick and myself growing up probably had a lot of freedom our first 10 years mm-hmm. like running around that you even had a semblance of that one is kind of special mm-hmm. and that I would also imagine that the makeup of the neighbors at Lafayette Square was more diverse than possibly your neighbors in Pacific Palisades and how that might have shaped you. I don't know. I think that the funny thing is it wasn't really diverse. One area was black and one area was white. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you know, like the history behind you know, a lot of American cities, but the the really interesting thing, and I'll let Cassidy talk about her experience, but I just wanted to just interject that I wouldn't even say that it was diverse because it was just basically Black. You know, that was a Black neighborhood. You know, it was kind of trying to be gentrified, but I mean, I we moved out of there and like, I don't know, what was it? Oh, somewhere, it was in the O's, aughts, as you call it. But yeah, it was, at the time, it was mostly like, there was no... Hardly any. I think there was maybe in that whole square. I can't really tell you how many houses are in there. I don't know, fifty maybe. I don't know, but there was maybe two or one or two white families that lived there at the time that I remember. But pretty much everybody that lived in there were were like African American families. Like I don't remember any. No, I mean there was like a mixed. Like there was a there was a couple I think that lived on our block there were a mixed race couple, but yeah, pretty much it was like, it was a black neighborhood. So did you choose when you were buying in LA for the first time and you bought that house, did you choose that because it was a black neighborhood or did you just, you know, fall in love with the houses and buy there? It was a a mixture of both. I liked the fact that it was black and it had that history and it was a nice area with nice, you know, historical homes that was also black. Like I thought both things were great and that's what I loved about it. And, you know, 
that was what attracted me to living there. So Cassidy, when you were living there and then had all Black friends, what was it like moving to Pacific Palisades? It was definitely a transition. I mean, we did live in Brentwood for a few mm-hmm. years before going to Palisades, but they're like adjacent, so it's really not that big of a difference. But I mean, it was definitely an adjustment for me. I mean, actually, growing up, I really, I always went to kind of diverse schools. So I always had like different a mix of friends. Like I always had white friends and black friends. So even though my neighborhood was black, I went to school with all different races. So it wasn't new to me to move from a black area to a white area per se, in terms of like mixing with other races. But it definitely did, like in the long run, take a toll on my self-esteem, just growing up around a lot of white people in my formative years, like especially going to an all white, all girls school really like, well, it, it was diverse. There was maybe like four or five other black girls in my grade out of, I don't know how many, like 30, 40, 40 30, 30, yeah, about 40, 45 yeah. in my grade. But yeah. I did everywhere I've, I have gone, I've always had like one or two like solid black friends, but I've always been surrounded by white people. So that has definitely. Why did it affect your self-esteem? I think that I always strived to be something that I wasn't growing up. Like I wanted to look different. I hated my hair growing up, which is crazy because now like I love my hair. Like I haven't straightened it in forever. Like I used to like, I, you can ask my mom. I used to beg my mom, oh, can I go get it straightened? I want to go get it done, this, that, whatever. Like I would cry over it being curly, like just everything. So that was and that's just because I grew up around, you know, white girls with their hair, how easy it was for them to throw it in a ponytail. And I would just envy that. I felt that way up until I got to Spelman, pretty much like wanting to look different and wanting to fit in and not be as black as I was or whatever. I was going to ask you about going from a white enclave to now being in a black enclave mm-hmm. and how you found the differences. And do you find because this isn't talked about a lot uh, amongst the black community, but there's a hierarchy in the black community as well, whether you're black enough or, you know, whether you're light skin, dark skin, this and that. And how do you find going, walking, navigating all of that now? Mm -hmm. It definitely is. It's such a complicated topic for me. And it's honest, it's very funny because me and my friend, we were over and she was watching Girlfriends with me and she was here yesterday and we were actually just talking about this, like how judgmental the black community can be sometimes towards people who, you know, grew up in multicultural backgrounds because not, I feel like a lot of people are so trapped in like just seeing the world in the way that they grew up being around black people their entire lives and not understanding that there is a flip side to that coin and that there is people who have experienced multicultural backgrounds, multicultural just realities and like understanding that's okay. I feel like sometimes it's a very, like, I just, I still see arguments about, oh, if you grew up around white people and you had white friends and you're not that black and oh, you guys just became black because you came to an HBCU and stuff like that. And like, to me, that kind of, that's just a very toxic mindset in my opinion, because I feel like it doesn't give room for people to grow and just understand like just the different realities of the world. It's very one track minded. Like, Oh, you didn't grow up around black people. You're not that black. You had white friends. Oh, like, how can you say, how can you claim that you're like this black now? And like, that is still something that that is in conversation today that just kind of blows my mind. Just being from, you know, a mixed family growing up, having white friends, like I just have never had that mindset. So it's just interesting to see the flip side of the coin now, but. Well, do you notice that those parallels when you look at girlfriends and you see the relationship between Maya and Lynn, right? Mm -hmm. Maya growing up in that, in an all black Compton neighborhood, never understanding anything other than her Baptist culture. And then Lynn, who's mixed race growing up in an all white family. That's why this show is so progressive. Yeah. You know, because that relationship right there is exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And in the movie School Days, I don't know if you've ever seen that by Spike Lee. And that's all takes place in a historically Black university and talking about the differences between the dark skin and the light skin community and how colorism is still really real. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know, is this still prevalent on campus? Because I went to 
you know, college a long time ago. So, <laughs> but it was a thing then, you know, and I wanted to know, have we moved? Have we moved forward? I mean, I definitely think that things have moved forward in terms of colorism, although I think there's a, still a lot of room to grow. I do think that people like to believe that they're not colorists, but things such as like having a preference, in my opinion, is colorist. Like this is something I've argued about with many people like, oh, it's how is it colorist if I just like who I like? And it's like, you can find the qualities in someone you like in anybody. So for you to narrow it down to someone who, based on what they look like is colorist, in my, in my opinion. So I think that like, in terms of like dating and stuff like that, I think there's a lot of colorism that I still see on like HBCU campuses or in the black community in general. But I do, I do think that colorism has progressed a lot since probably since like, you know, school days era and all of that. It's not as, I don't think it's like you walk on campus and it's like an overwhelming, oh, there's this group and that group. I think it's very like mixed and people, you know, it's not in terms of like groups of friends and stuff like that. I see people of all shades, like friends. So, but I do think that there's still people who hold those ideologies, but don't really think that they do. Right. And are you pledging? Are you going to pledge? I'm not. (laughs) senior if you were going to pledge you would have done it already yeah true what so do you find so it's interesting hearing about colorism which i've read about so i intellectually understand it but do you think that gives some common ground to having conversation with white people about racism so lenny and i have had the discussion that really like what we should say is like, we're all a little bit racist. Like we're all racist. Like I am, I, you know, I am an anti-racist, but obviously like I still have racism in me in, in that sense, just whether it's xenophobia or what, however you want to say it. And is there a bridge to having a more honest conversation if we had more people of color and Black people being able to talk to us about colorism. Do you think there's a chance for bridging the gap there, or you think there's, there is no chance, at least not on that issue? Personally, for me, and I, I'd love to hear, I would love for you both to weigh in on this. I feel like colorism is an internal issue that the Black community needs to deal with. We need to deal with this before we can discuss it in a broader sense with the white community. I feel like everyone needs to be comfortable with everyone. So like, I I don't consider myself, I have never considered myself light-skinned, but in certain communities, I'm considered light-skinned. And because I'm half Puerto Rican, there's all of, you know, there's all of that to deal with as well. But- Can I just interject though? Like, so arguably, could this be parallel? to like on the east coast where everybody sort of ranks ethnicities you know so in new york growing up i was like you know i was the italian girl then there were the irish people down the block and then there was the the polish people and there was whether it was segregated among ethnicities at some point growing up in the 70s and 80s or even just an idea that, you know, if you were Jewish, you were smart. If you were Polish, you know, playing into the stereotype, you know, you were dumb. Or if you were Irish, oh, of course, there are 13 kids. Or if you're Italian, of course, there are 13 kids and the dad is a plumber or in the mafia. Like there was all sorts of types and hostility between the groups. And it wasn't really how you looked, but it was like what your last name was. I think it's more like a caste system. Okay. More like a caste system. If you think about it in terms of like in India, it's more about the color of your skin and how you are on the spectrum. The closer you are, the lighter you are, the closer you are to a white person, apparently the better you are. Yeah. So of course it always comes back to its systemic racism. Yes. But it started, that started in slavery here in America because the, you know, when master had kids and they were lighter, they could be in the home. Right. And the darker slaves were out in the field. And then I, you know, that mentality has just kept on. I mean, I think it's better. 
I think it's better for sure, but I just, you know, cause I don't deal with it as much anymore as I used to when I was younger. But I mean, let's weigh in on this. We, we're, we're all black women here. Let's weigh in. What are your thoughts on how this is going? I don't know. This is a really interesting topic to me because it's a lot to unpack. I feel like for me, for example, what's really weird for me personally is that because at least in my immediate family where I grew up, I was the lightest out of everyone. And it was only because my father had me with a woman that wasn't black. She was, you know, Filipino and white. And then I grew up, my father was really dark skin. All my, like his sister, my grandmother, my cousins, like everyone was like chocolate brown. And I swear to you, I loved how dark they were. Like, and I loved my father and I thought, and my, my father was really handsome not to be, you know, like he really was, he was a really handsome guy. And I thought he was like, you know, I still to this day, like have a preference for darker skin. Like, I just think that it's, you know, and not in that like, it's bad. Cause it's like, you know, goes back to what Cassidy said of like the ant, you know, it is colorist to a certain extent, but it's not like, you know, I'm, you know, prejudiced or whatever. But when I look like, I think darker skin is pretty. And I, when I grew when I grew up, I always wanted to be darker. I wanted to be darker to this day. I want to be darker. Like I constantly, like, if I have to pick between two foundation colors, I'll pick the darker one. Like if I have to, you know, if, if I'm on a beach vacation, I am on the beach. Like I really put the lowest sunblock on or not at all. Like I'm trying to like, I just think it looks better. And that's not even an offense to anybody that's not dark. I just, that's how I grew up. And so what's really interesting is my, fr- I, I spent one year at Howard University. I was like, I had this obsession with Howard. I wanted to go there so badly. Has a little bit to do with school days. I got or just even like, I always knew that it was like, it was the Mecca it was, you know, and I thought that it was, was, would be a great fit for me. And I think in retrospect, I'm mad that I left after a year. Like I have my own personal, like I was like distracted, but anyway, and I, when I got to Howard, which was really crazy, this is funny, Lenya, because I never thought I was light skin either. Like I'm kind of sort of kind of your skin tone. Mm-hmm. And in New York, like light skin was like light skin. It was like, it was like yellow, high yellow. Like I was like, I wasn't light skin. Like, and it was like weird because when I got to Howard, it was like one, I, it was so strange. Like I got on the yard, which, you know, is infamous. And it was like, not only what, you know, it was like this weird dynamic of like one, I had gotten so much attention that I had never received in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a whole nother thing. And it was like, I was some, you know, it was like the colorism thing was so prevalent and it was weird. And it was like this weird, like coming, you know, and I grew up in, you know, amongst like my whole, like, I, unlike Cassidy, I grew up around black people. Like I wasn't like, you know, I, I, I did go to school in mixed areas or whatever occasionally, but generally I didn't really have many white friends growing up. I mean, I did when I was younger living with my dad, but then like, you know, time progressed and, you know, it just kind of ends up happening, you know, but what am I trying to say about this colorism thing? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, it's such a conscious thing that we all have dealt with. It's like the hair texture thing. And like, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, you know, it was just such a, when I got to Howard, it was like such a, it's, it was such a, like a, a thing that people talked about. And it was such a, it was so weird because I I really didn't have like such a consciousness of skin tone Mm -hmm. until I got below the Mason Dixon line, as you, so to speak, like, cause how, you know, DC is like, is technically the South. And I don't know, I felt it was like a weird thing for me because I felt like it was just way too much attention on it. And it was like, it was, you know, and then I ended up learning about, I knew about the paper bag test Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I sent you the book. I sent you that movie, the paper bag about the the movie about the girls that you couldn't you couldn't go into a beauty pageant unless you were lighter than a paper bag. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, remember, I sent you that. Remember? Yeah. 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 And, um, and a little bit in prep for this. Yeah, it's weird, and I knew about it, but it became really to the forefront when I got to Howard amongst like a sea, you know. And it was really interesting because it's so diverse. What's What's weird is people were like, "Oh, why would you go to HBCU? Don't you want diversity?" It's like you don't understand how diversity really is until you get to an HBCU. You know what I mean? In my opinion, that's why I really wanted Cassidy to go to Spelman. But but yeah, like it was like that the whole paper bag thing, and then just like 
And one of my best friends when I was when I got to Howard was a choc- like a chocolate brown girl um, from Atlanta. And was, you know, it's really funny. This is Cassidy brought this up to me the other day. I'm like, I'm I'm going off track, but just to be just to like say, go back to what I said about my preference of like I forgot who it was. Some friend of mine. I sent her a picture of, or some model or somebody, and I sent Cassidy a picture. And Cassidy was like, all of your friends look like that. All your best friends <laughs> look like that. And it was like weird. And I had to think about it. And I was like, dang, she's kind of right. Like like a lot of my like really close friends growing up or like, you know, in my 20s were always like some really chocolate girl. Like, and I don't know what that's about. <laughs> it was always some... I, and it wasn't even, I don't even think it was conscious. It was just that I related to them and I like, they made me comfortable. And I like, I was like, I just felt like I could be myself or whatever. But it wasn't because of their skin tone necessarily, but I do have a lot of like history with like having really chocolate brown friends. I mean, I don't know what that's about, but I mean, you know, I do feel like there is the colorism issue is still at play. And I think the colorism issue is is more so at play, not so much amongst women, Black women, but it's within our relationships with Black men. Yes. And I think that's where it comes into play. And I think this conversation became really a topic amongst me and my friends when when Kenya Barris's show, was the show that he just Black did? Black or Blackish? No, not Blackish, the, the, the Netflix one he just did. Black as fuck. Black as fuck. Yes, that. And there was like, I've just been taught, we were talking about it so much because of all the discussions behind him and his family and him having Kadada as his wife and everyone on there was light skin and all this. And then him saying that this is reflective of my, of my life. And like, why are you guys so upset about it? And I really was like, had to really think about this because, because I guess I, hadn't really thought about it in the way of like how in TV and in media, how much we see the black guy with the light skinned woman or Mm -hmm. with the family and what, and how that actually impacts women of color and darker skinned women. And that was such an interesting discussion that I'm still like um, really interested in. And I was watching this one podcast of this group of different Black people. And there was this one guy on there that was really defensive about it. And it was really interesting because the Black women were letting him have it. But it was like, they were like, and and there was like this whole thing of like him trying to make them feel bad. Like, oh, you mad? Oh, you mad? Because he used this girl. Why are you so mad? And it was like such, like he was like gaslighting everybody. And it was just such an interesting thing. But I think that really it's like, there's a level of sexism in there because I really feel like within the Black community, when men are dark skinned, they're super handsome. They're like looked at as like being so gorgeous. Like look at Idris, look at Denzel, look at like, like at the end of the day, like there's this whole colorism thing between black men. It's funny. Cause I'll, I'll I talk to Cassie about this sometimes too. Like I like Drake, you know, like he's cool. He's talented. And I think he's good looking. Every time they post him on one of these Instagram pages, like you, you go, you scroll the the comments, and it's always like he's so skin. Oh, he's light skin. This like they're making fun of him because he's light skin. So it's almost wow. like there's like this opposite thing. Like if you're a man and you're light skin, you're not like manly enough. But if you're a woman and you're dark and you're light skin, then you're prep. You prefer. It's like this weird dichotomy that I think is strange and needs to be unpacked. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's kind of how I see it. I see it that it's like this social construct that we all like. And I agree with Lenya in the sense that we need to address this within the community because it's just bogus. You know what I mean? And on top of that, I think that a lot of people, men in particular, the Black men, need to come to terms with the role they play in it. Because I think that women, and I'm going to sound biased or whatever, but I think women are doing the work. I think, I feel like black yes. women are doing the work. I feel like we're talking to each other. I feel like we are um, supporting each other. I think that we just are, have been addressing issues amongst ourselves and within our small communities, within our friendships. And I don't, I feel like I would love to see black men doing the same thing. I think some, you see it, but it's not as popular or it's not as like, or at least we're not seeing it as much in our, 
mainstream spaces or in the things that I'm seeing. Like, I feel like what you end up seeing is a defense, like the whole, like the, the Kenya thing. And I, I don't want to really, I don't know, like that's a touchy topic, but I just think that the way he reacted to it and a way, the way that a lot of Black men acted, uh, reacted to it was very defensive and it wasn't really addressing, okay, yeah, that's your family. And that is true. But that also opens up the topic of like, why is that? Like, and what is, what is that, sh- what is that showing? And why can't we actually explore like what that's about without you feeling like somebody is, you know, as they call it, butt hurt. Like that's not even the, the, the point. Like, I don't really feel like we feel like that. I think, you know, I think that we just need to show that it's not always about like us having some kind of problem. We just are looking at you like, okay, this is mainstream stuff that, you know, we're being bombarded with. Like you need to address why these are, this is what, you know, like, these are the facts. This is the makeup of the families that we see on the screen. So like, why is that? Like, why can't we explore those things? And you have to understand how these things impact us. Like not only just as us, just as viewers, but like in the world and like how we are received and like standards of beauty and all those kinds of things, I think is interesting, but. Well, Cassidy, how does that play out for your generation? Yeah, I'd have to kind of amend my answer from before, like, I do think the, that colorism is still very prevalent in terms of, like, I kind of touched on, like, the dating, but, like, just to go Mm -hmm. more into it, like, my mom said, like, Black men really are the biggest factor and issue when it comes to colorism. Thinking back at it, like, and like you guys have said, I really don't consider myself light-skinned. It's a whole nother thing, but, like, since I've come to Atlanta, I've been called light-skinned so many times. Growing up in LA, I was never, I was never told I was light-skinned. I was never thought of as light-skinned. So that's just like a whole nother thing. But I do remember like having this conversation kind of brought up like a kind of repressed memory for me because it was just was so like just odd for me to hear this. But like, I do remember in high school once that this dark-skinned guy did like me and he had said, made some comment like, oh, you're the, the darkest girl I would ever talk to. Like, I wouldn't talk to anyone darker than you or something like that. And wow. you never at the told time, I was really just appalled because mind you, he's, he was the darkest boy in our, probably in our school. He was very dark. He's, I think he was from African, maybe like Nigerian. And it's just, it just stuff like that is just really honestly disgusting for me to hear because you have a black family. Your mother is black. I'm sure she's the same shade as you. And you have the like nerve to say, oh, like I would never date or talk to anyone like darker than you like that just really took me back but it's just like it's it really is still a prevalent thing among black men and like kind of fetishizing like lighter skinned women and even yesterday I my roommate is light skinned I think she's Puerto Rican and black but she is light skinned and this boy saying oh you're exotic I like exotic like it's just this whole fetish like fetishization of exoticness and being lighter and being closer wow. to whiteness it's just mm-hmm. it's it's really still very problematic like within the black community with black men and it's something that you see often I think even on HBCU campuses because I've heard you know darker skinned girls talking about how frustrating it is to date and how you know they don't have as many prospects because men are, are colorists and that's just the way it is and it's sad to see because like my mom says like I think dark skinned women are absolutely beautiful like I've mm-hmm. like I think they're gorgeous. So it's just, it's crazy to me to think that people really have this repressed like hatred of themselves really in blackness to go and, and try to find anything that's other than that. It's like a topic that I've been seeing talked about all over social media too. Like, I don't, I don't know if you guys are like familiar with TikTok, but it's like a social media app and people yeah. make videos on oh, it. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm they- not that old. <laughs> I even thought about being on TikTok. I used to have TikTok, but I had to delete it because it's just such a toxic app. That's a whole nother thing. But there's this, like, there'll be a row of Black men, and, and, and then it'll have, like, white girl, and then Black girls at the top, and then they'll, like, play a song, and then they'll, like, all run to the side that they like, and then they'll all run to the white girl side, and, like, the Black, and then they'll, like, look at it, and then just run to the white girl side. So it's, like, they really have this hatred of themselves, and and it's just crazy because you have Black siblings, I'm sure you have a Black mother, you have a Black father, but you still feel this hatred and this need to go to closer to whiteness and it's like 
that's just repressed racism like in my opinion right. like kind of showing yeah. up in their life but they they just think oh it's just preference oh i just like what i like but no you you have hatred for yourself that's really what that is so yeah like it's been imprinted from early on what's interesting to me is that when i'm in malawi you you see different shades of blackness and then it very quickly becomes really in essence almost it's ethnicities right because what's interesting is that you'll hear like somebody in Malawi say oh you know meeting them say oh they're from Mozambique and because in Mozambique people tend to be darker and in Malawi there is a reddish like sort of a reddish undertone and then you'll see somebody come from Nigeria or Kenya and they're darker and it all tends to be ethnicity based rather than just what your color is and it really goes to the state of this is when you're having this conversation here in the states ripped away from heritage because people don't know their heritage this is just another scar of slavery like i listen to this and i'm like damn it's just another because all you're dealing with is the outside skin tone like it's it just makes me really sad that's One of the things that had been bothering me about this Megan the Stallion being shot by this guy, whose mm. name I, I guess I deliberately have taken away from my brain, you know, kind of bothered me because I think this is also a colorist issue. And I, I don't know, there's, a, there's there seems to be right now, it seems to be very much in our face with, you know, the show Black AF, but also looking at Idris Elba's wife because you know he just remarried or he married uh, yeah remarried he married some young light-skinned woman and there was a lot of backlash about that because she's really young I mean I don't know like you're right I feel like both of you are very you have touched on something that our black male celebrities are have this this preference and it's not really respecting the black female community And I feel like they also disrespect a lot of the black, dark women celebrities, like Megan Thee Stallion, like who else was recently in the news for some ridiculousness? I can't remember now. Does this go back to just pure representation, whether it's in story, whether it's in media, like so growing up? Will this, do you think this will be different now that there are, there is more diversity on screen? I don't know about like necessarily in books, Uh, but no. I think this is an internal cultural thing that we need to start teaching our boys differently. I think this is a, a, this is, we need to start teaching our boys. We need to start teaching our boys differently anyway, just on a womanhood issue. Our men have had so little accountability for their behavior. We let them boys be boys type situation just faster. And I feel like this is a situation that mothers need to take responsibility for. And I mean, just me, this is my personal opinion as a mother of a son that I, you know, this is something we need to be teaching our our boys. And I think a lot of this, as far as colorism and learning to be brave enough to love who you love is part of this. I don't know. Cassidy, you were, yeah, you were going to say you would lean forward. Oh, no, I was just saying, I don't even think there's more diversity on screen. I think that's a problem. Like they'll pick the two dark skinned people to keep in the rotation, like Lupita. And that's really only the, only woman who comes to mind right now because they like to say here we have one dark-skinned person be happy with that but have so many other light-skinned people and everyone else doing it represented in movies and tv and all that and like you said like all these famous men and rappers like all their baby mamas and all their girlfriends and all everyone is light-skinned women or white women so it's like it just shows that you know the the world's preference really and it's just I can imagine, that's hard to see even as a black girl, but I can imagine especially how hard that is to see as a dark-skinned black girl just feeling unwanted by society in general. So I think it's a really important issue that we have to tackle and and handle in our community before we kind of handle it in the broader society. But no, I I kind of disagree a little bit with you, Lenya, in the sense that I do feel like representation in media is very important because I think that if you end up seeing 
relationships with women of color that are darker, that's very impression. You're very impressionable if you see that. Like if you saw like more, you know, like more people like, like Denzel Washington and his wife, Courtney. Right, right. Or like just even on screen, like of course, Viola, who's like the you know, goddess of acting and just more women. I actually feel like there, there people are making strides to for representation of darker skinned women. I don't think that you see it a lot, but I mean, I do feel like, and I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. I do see sometimes there are women that are darker that are being, that are being selected as the wife. Like there's a show right now on Netflix called Sneakerheads and the and yes. it's like with Alan Maldonado. And I don't remember the, the name of the actress, but she's a, she's a brown-skinned lady with natural hair, which was awesome. I thought that was a great casting choice. I, I think you do see it. It's not enough, but I do feel like, I feel like it's changing incrementally. And I do feel, and I do think that, you know, we do need to do the work. I think it's a combination. As much as people don't like, you know, the word of affirmative action, I feel like that, it has to be done. Like, and, 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 you know, it has, you have to do it. Like you have to re- represent, you know, you have to have a certain amount of people to like, to kind of change the, the narrative and the paradigm. It's like, you know, things have to happen, like to make the change. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, I don't know, I have a problem with forced quotas. I'm not saying that, but I guess I mean that, you know, in the sense of like, like, let's have a dialogue and a discussion of like, okay, why are you, picking this woman over, you know, because it is an ingrained, it's an implicit bias, you know, and it's just, it's a thing that I think that it would be great if it was brought, like if there was some kind of way to have it be addressed in the beginning, like, you know, I don't know what that really means, but I guess in like, for example, when it comes to casting, like, I don't know, like what, when does, I think that's why it's really important to have people of color in casting or like not even people of color, let's just say black women or, you know, like people that actually are conscious of these types of things. Like, okay. You know, like I'm going to bring, you know, production. Exactly. In the upper echelon of the production we need. Right. Right. Black voice. Right. Especially in the writer's room. Right. These stories would turn out better as well as black casting directors. There are not too many of those. Right. Right. No, I know that, but I do know a few because I know that, but they, they do exist. I mean, even thinking about like, whatchamacallit, Queen and Slim, like that actress that did that movie, she was beautiful and dark skin. And I mean, I think that, you know, you're just seeing it. You're seeing it. The call for May I I May Destroy You. Oh yes. Her. Yeah. Yeah. And she did that Netflix series, Black Earth Rising, which was Unbelievably good if you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen that. I have to watch that. But yeah, I do think, you know, I do think, I, I think it's definitely being addressed in small ways here and there. But I do believe that, like we've been talking about. I wanted to ask Nicole, did race factor in at all in your decision to become a lawyer? Like to go back to school when you did? Absolutely. Well, I had always wanted to be a lawyer, to be honest, like from when I was in high school has a lot to do with, well, one, not even just race, like primarily it had to do with, and this is partnered with race, but I just wanted to be in a position to, to be empowered. And I just felt like I was constantly in situations where I was being disrespected or my family or people in my community not having access to things that other races, white people in in general, would just get just because. Housing, for example, redlining, having access to schools and things like that. Also, just even going into a store and, you know, wanting to buy a car and having someone give you a less favorable, you know, finance rate because they think they can or doing that with your mortgage and things like that. And it just got to the point, you know, I really believe that that having black people as attorneys is super important because it's access to knowledge, it's access to a, a level of power. And I don't like it, 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 it that you can actually have a forum in a, a legal forum, have an actual license to bring a lawsuit against someone for doing something is such a, is a thing that that has historically been blocked for black people and other, you know, women. And we're um, still not there the, yet. So absolutely. 
so the black population is 13% in the United mm -hmm. States, I think it is. And it's only 5% um, of attorneys are black. Right. So there's a long way to go. I mean, yeah. a really long way to go. Right. Cassie, you studying. <laughs> okay. I'm studying photography and minoring in um, writing. I'm actually going to be the first photography major to graduate from Spelman in the spring. Did they create the major just for you? They didn't. It was actually a brand new major when I applied. So I originally wanted to go to an art school, but my mom took me to see Spelman. And I, I don't know, it was just, it was an interesting college journey for me, for sure. Because I definitely... You wanted to go to New York, right? I mean, you yeah, really wanted to, to be in New York. Yeah, I definitely wanted to go to Parsons. Um, my friend had gotten accepted there and she um, goes there now. And I just thought, and Cassidy did, did too, like, by the way, Cassidy, Cassidy got accepted oh, yeah. to Parsons and Pratt and all these other schools. So there's proud. I, mom just, I just wanted to say Spelman <laughs> was a choice. It wasn't like, you know, it was definitely something that it was a choice. Like she got into, into all the top yeah. and, to, and all to the top art school. So anyway, just like heating her horn for her and I'll be quiet. <laughs> Be a proud mama. Be a proud mama. <laughs> so yeah. Cassidy, what was it? Why did, so yeah, tell us your journey. Um, yeah, so my mom insisted that I apply to Spelman and she, and I was definitely at, resistant at first because I just wasn't sure how much I would like it. To be honest, I was a little nervous about being in an all black space coming from, you know, going to primarily white schools and dealing with like you know, always being seen as like an Oreo or just not being seen as entirely black. So I thought I would kind of face those same like types of issues going to HBCU, but I was actually completely wrong. Walking onto the campus, just like seeing black girls everywhere was just like, just an overwhelming feeling for me because that I just have never been in a space like that before, like being surrounded by people who look like me. And it, it just was like, like, I kind of just knew like that was where I was meant to be and like I would become who I need to be there so like of course like it's not really a, it's definitely not a traditional art school and I've had to you know go through my trials and tribulations as a photo major at Spelman but I think that I couldn't have like become as confident and become the person that I am today without going to Spelman so I'm really grateful that my mom pushed me to go there <laughs> and that I didn't go to art school I could learn art by myself you know I've I mean I've learned at Spelman and definitely expanded my mind to different black artists and like black history which has pushed me into the direction that I had I go in with my photography photographing black girls and my black community and stuff like that but I think that I wouldn't have found that love and that specific appreciation, appreciation for my black womanhood without going to Spelman so yeah that's pretty incredible do you think, and now you're staying, you're in Atlanta, like what do you, where do you think you'll go after you graduate? I mean, that's still up in the air. I definitely, I feel like I, it's either between going back to LA or going to New York. I know for a fact I want to live in New York for a part of my life because just the culture there is so amazing. And I feel like I could just capture so many different, back, just different people and Mm -hmm. have so many new experiences there but I also am I, I also do kind of like going back to LA because I like to work with different people there I work with my dad with music videos and help him um, write treatments and stuff like that and then but I also it's weird because I just feel like I could really go anywhere and like the the possibilities are endless after graduation but I, I don't know. I'm excited for everything. I, I'm really just trying to dive into everything. I, I shoot. A lot of people have been like commissioning me to shoot in Atlanta. So like, I really never imagined myself staying in Atlanta, but like the more like work I've gotten out here and more people yeah. connecting with me, stuff like that, that, that also is a possibility as well. And so I'm just really keeping myself open to everything. How is Nicole, how did you raise Cassidy to be so able to have so many opportunities and feel like the world is limitless for her? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I, I think I've raised Cassidy just, I've constantly just really used my own life as a backdrop in the sense of always, for one, just, in, in, just 
reminding her for one, I think one of the biggest lessons I've always tried to instill in her is that she is the master of her own fate and her own destiny. And I have always been a huge proponent of taking responsibility for your own life and your own actions. Cause I mean, we, you know, growing up, we definitely, as you know, my first child and we've gone through a lot, like there was like really tumultuous times that we went through and we will not go into the details of that, but, uh, but no, we had a lot of like, you know, typical stuff, but some stuff that just was really difficult. And I think that, you know, I can't say that I was, have been the best mother, but I've like grown. And I think that I've I always like, am a person that believes that in order to see change, you have to take accountability for the stuff that you're doing. And that's one thing that I try to do. And that I've always talked to her about, like, I've always talking to her about not being a victim. People do things that are wrong and people do things that you don't like. And people, people will disappoint you. And I've disappointed her. Like, and I've had like, you know, we've had those moments and I'm just like, listen, you have to really in order to move forward, you have to take, you have to take accountability for what you've done and, and for what you want to create. And it's, and a lot of it is about your mental, your mental state, like your mental, like, like what you focus on. And I know that, you know, and I really talked to her about that. Stop focusing on what you don't want, focus on what you want, create what you want. You can create the world and the life that you want with your thoughts and with what you focus on and what you put your attention and your time on. You spend all this time thinking about all these people that have done you wrong and all these, you know, situations that didn't go, didn't work out for you and use those as stepping stones and use those as, as reminders of the things that you don't want. When you see any type of like semblance of something that you've gone through that you don't like or feeling that you don't like, then make a different decision and make a different choice and be okay with it. So that's one thing that I, that I still talk to her about. I mean, I, I mean, I think I still go through it. Like we still, I still go through like hard times and I'm like sitting there like, you know, I pine on things and I just really have to force myself to change my mind about it. Need advice? Have a question. Find us at womenbridgingthegap.com. We're happy to address your problems in our podcast, anonymously, of course. Spread the word by sharing us with your friends. And don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week for part two of our fascinating conversation with mother-daughter duo, Nicole and Cassidy Myers.